Welcome to the Philanthropy Australia podcast, a destination for those who are interested in the issues, the debates and the thinking about philanthropy. In each episode, we'll bring you a short discussion about the issues engaging the nation's philanthropists and those in the for-purpose sector, whether it's a discussion about what it means to be a philanthropist in Australia, guidance to improve your giving practice, or information about Philanthropy Australia's signature thought-leading events, this podcast is for you. Uh, so the reason, Paul and Kat, that you're here is to talk about philanthropy, obviously, but Perpetual's connection with all of that, Kat, how, how has that come about? So Perpetual has a three-year partnership with Stanford Centre on mm-hmm. Philanthropy and Society, and that was really born of um, about five years ago, I think we were sitting in a room thinking about our strategy for how we actually support clients with their, their giving. Um, and it was really kind of a view, well, you know, what is the responsibility of an organisation like Perpetual that is the largest manager of philanthropic funds in the country, one of the largest managers of non-profit um, dollars and increasingly, you know, a really significant um, partner to Aboriginal communities who have supported Native title. Uh, and I think what we were really focused on was, um, you know, how do we lift the level of conversation that we're having around um, our civil society? How do we lift the level of conversation that we're having around what constitutes great philanthropy, what constitutes poor practice in philanthropy, and how do we lift that dialogue um, to another level? And when we did a global scan, it was really clear to us that some of the work coming out of Stanford PACS was um, really you know, starting to shift conversation in a different direction, particularly around digital civil society, particularly around the work that Paul um, is doing with the Effective Philanthropy Learning Initiative. Uh, and we really wanted to, to engage in a partnership that enabled us to bring some of those great thinkers to our shores to engage in a conversation with our sectors about uh, some of the research and work they're doing. Um, so this is the second three-year partnership we have with Stanford PACS. And Paul is um, the first cab off the rank as part of this uh, three-year partnership, and we've been really keen to get him out to Australia for the last four years. So, Paul, from what you've seen of the landscape here, albeit very briefly, how receptive do you think Australian philanthropy is to your thinking? So it's it's a little bit dangerous for, for a tourist to make generalizations. Mm, quite about. so, yeah. Uh, but the, the the conversations that we've had in Sydney in two days and the conversation we just had with the group over lunch today, the questions that people are asking are the same questions that uh, philanthropists in the United States are asking. And they they seem to have the... Uh, the same the same set of interests. So there are a couple of issues that are common to the US as they are here, and obviously something that you and Perpetual are wrestling with as well. That is the intergenerational transfer of wealth, which is a significant one for philanthropy, but also perhaps more specifically in your instance, the um, technology boom and the generation of philanthropic funds for a number of, of those people involved in that sector as well. What what do those two things do in terms of change our thinking around philanthropy for the next generation of philanthropists? So, I mean, one thing that it means is there's going to be a lot more uh, philanthropic funding than there has been in the past through, through those two phenomena. And an interesting question is whether one 
can generalize. I think it's too early to generalize about the the interests and attitudes and practices of those two different groups. The people who are who are making the money themselves and will be the, the living donors and those who are the next generation or the generation following it who will be inheriting uh, philanthropic practices and philanthropic funds. And at this point, I'm not, I think it's too early to generalize. I think living donors tend to be very hands-on. Uh, they, they were hands-on in building their businesses, and they probably want to be very deeply involved in their philanthropy. I think in some cases, the next generation is like that, but many of them already have full-time jobs. They're, they're working for a living rather than having, having in effect, retired on, on their wealth. And they may have different sets of attitudes just because they're younger. Kat, does Perpetual actually have a strategy? In, in terms of how we're working with next yeah, geners? Yeah. Um, look, I, I think uh, uh, our philosophy remains the same regardless of the age or what has brought an individual to philanthropy. And that is, um, you know, we genuinely believe that um, developing a quality strategy, finding really great quality organisations to invest in is vital to good practices in philanthropy. Hearing beneficiary voices as often as you can as part of your giving practices is, is really vital and uh, fully funding organisations and projects that you're supporting uh, is really vital. So some of those things are the practice of philanthropy and, you know, the starting point around, uh, you know, ultimately believing that getting the practice of philanthropy right, doing the, the fundamentals in a really good way um, ultimately will lead to a better culture of philanthropy as we go forward. So we're at a really interesting point, I think, as an advisory organisation, and I think this is true for any organisation, whether they're in the advice business, they're a consultant, they're an admin service provider, is that we've got a really important responsibility to really lift the quality of philanthropy that's taking place. And to do that, we have to call out what is good practice mm. and we have to talk about uh, what is poor practice as well? So you know, one of the one of the reasons we're so excited to have Paul in the country is, you know, I, I think he um, don't want to speak for you, Paul, but genuinely in terms of some of the literature um, uh, around what Paul has written and um, his book, Money Well Spent, you know, he really is focused on you know the the practice and and strategy uh, approach to philanthropy can be um, you know as important. Um, uh, to greater outcomes for our communities as, as anything else within the, the ecosystem around what we're trying to adjust. So we have to invest in that, we have to talk about it, um, and we have to listen to um, you know, great quality people who are, are bringing some of this uh, thought leadership to our space as well. I'll come back to Paul on the strategic approach to philanthropy shortly, but I'm interested in, in how you see drawing more specifically or explicitly on what Paul's been talking about for what Perpetual does? Well, there's probably two, two components to that. One is around, um, you know, the, the design of, of strategy. Um, so we've been running uh, workshops in Sydney and we'll be doing so in Melbourne as well for philanthropists who are interested in understanding how to set strategy um, for their philanthropic foundations. I think there's an assumption out there that you need to be a staff foundation, you need to be a Gates or a Buffett sort of sized mm. Um, a philanthropist to actually do strategy really well um, and we want to 
really refocus people on, you know, quality strategy um, doesn't need staff. It doesn't need um, the tens of millions of dollars distributed. It just needs a little bit of focus and attention um, and commitment to follow through um, around how you go about that practice. Um, and we want to bring that that sort of skill set um, to the conversation. And we're hoping really actually the workshops that Paul's delivering will be an opportunity then for other philanthropists to share with their peers the process of setting strategy as well. So it's quite interactive and, and quite great from, from that perspective. The other thing that we're really interested in as part of our relationship with Stanford PACS that we've been focusing in on is what is the role for the trusted advisor in supporting families with their giving? Um, so Paul has been quite involved in the design of the advisor toolkit, which will be available, I think, Paul, very, very shortly, if not already available to all advisors working internationally and how they actually take the families that they're working with on the journey to better practices in philanthropy and how they move from perhaps just the capability of talking about structures and tax code to actually talking about setting strategy, aligning family values and actually thinking about things like evaluation as part of their process for great strategy and philanthropy. And the exciting thing there for any advisor that's working with high net worth families or any family that's interested in giving is that it is an opportunity as well to build deeper relationships with those families, to talk about something other than money and to talk about uh, the, the type of impact they're trying to have in the communities that they care about. It's oh, another good point that I'll come back to in a moment. So for the rest of the three years, we'll be expecting to have some more special guests from Stanford PACS winging their way south. So we've been really lucky with the relationship to date that we've had, um, you know, besides Paul, individuals of quality of uh, Lucy Bernholz and Rob Reich coming out to Australia, yeah, yeah. who are, you know, are really pushing um, um, or moving the dial, I guess, in terms of the types of conversation that we're having from everything from the role of philanthropy in our democratic societies through to what the future of our civil society looks like um, in a digital um, technology-enabled world. So. The conversations that we've been having to date have been really fantastic. Um, the work coming out of Stanford PACS is, um, uh, you know, so diverse and so interesting. We'll, we'll hopefully have Woody Powell out who has um, uh, been working on a longitudinal piece of work looking at the evolution of nonprofits in, in California and has now expanded that work to, to Australia as well. Um, Christian Silos and some of his work in um, um, uh, systems change and and big bet philanthropy. So, you know, there's an incredible um, array of um, individuals and talent to build on um, in terms of bringing out Hope Fleets uh, to Australia. Um, but I think, you know, really importantly, as, as Paul has just touched on, and I think as Lucy and Rob have noticed as well, you know, the level of conversation in Australia is already really high. And I think that we can feed into a lot of the thinking um, that Stanford is doing in their research as well and, 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 and give as much as we're getting um, on, in return from, from those individuals coming out to Australia as well. Good, thank you. I might, I might just add to that, that the, the, different, the different parts of Stanford PACS, even though it's a very small organization, really do have different perspectives on this. So Lucy Brentholz's work is very much about digital civil society and how, how the internet and social media are changing the way in the civil society organizations work. Woody Powell is a sociologist who's very who's much more interested in studying the evolution of philanthropy. So Sydney is one of now more than a half dozen new cities 
that he's looking at the evolution of nonprofits more than philanthropy. My theory, by the way, which I've told Woody, is he, he chooses cities that have good beer and wine. And, um, and your problem with that is? <laughs> oh, no problem at all. <laughs> and then, and then Rob, Rob is a political scientist uh, a, you know, who's written a book quite critical mm. of large-scale philanthropy. And Rob and I have some, some friendly but strong disagreements. So it's, yes. it's a pretty diverse mm. organization. Which is great, which is what you want, you know, because out of, out of a little bit of friction, heat and light can be generated, can they not? You hope, you hope more light than heat. <laughs> I think to, to, to Rob's kind of core message, you know, the, the, the scrutiny versus the celebration component, I think regardless of whether or not you agree um, with his views or, you know, whether or not you think the, the approach is full, um, uh, believes in around strategic philanthropy is the right way to go about it. You know, we need to be having these conversations. We need to be lifting the, you know, the level of thought around what is the role of philanthropy in, in our civil societies? What role do we expect um, individuals who are controlling um, those funds to actually play? Um, so I don't think it matters whether or not you agree with it. It matters that we're having the conversations. Mm, you're quite so. So just do that in, in that broader sense. Um, there's, there's been, uh, in an international um, dimension to the discussion about the value of philanthropy and, to use Rob's term, I think that undemocratic nature of big philanthropy. It seems to me that post Notre Dame in particular, there's been this kind of whole discussion about this at a level which we probably haven't seen sometimes. Do you have a perspective about about that discussion and whether where it kind of is likely to land? So I, I, I think whether it lands in policy change, uh, for example, in the tax codes of different countries is going to be very specific to different countries. Mm. Uh, my bet is that in the United States, it's not going to change government policy with respect to taxation, which I think is the major way in which government affects uh, high net worth philanthropy. And I think that's, um, I'm, I'm, I don't, I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing. I think what's very bad is the increasingly unequal distribution of wealth, which allows somebody, some people to be so wealthy that they can do philanthropy that affect uh, the world in non-democratic ways. But I think that's an issue of wealth distribution rather than philanthropy as such. And I think that's a fundamentally political issue, which I think is going to have to be resolved through, through elections rather than, than anything else. Because I read a quote um, from a British newspaper the other week that said, for the super rich, giving is really taking. You know, I think you have to look at uh, you have to look at the super rich kind of individually. Uh, for the super rich who get a tax deduction, then giving is heavily subsidized by the government. But even for for the very super rich, they run out of the tax deduction uh, pretty early on. So a lot of their giving is money that they could just keep for themselves or for their children. And that's even true when you get a tax deduction. 
But I think that's that's it's it's a nice quip, but I'm not sure it's true. Mm. So to that point about redistribution of wealth, then I, I mean fundamentally, um, as you, your view is that that's that's a political decision and with an economic consequence or political decision driven by an economic motive um, rather than anything to do with a philanthropic outcome? I think the philanthropic outcome is a byproduct. But even if you had a much more equal distribution of wealth compared to what we have now, there would be people who are very wealthy and then they have a choice. Do Do I... use the money for luxury goods or pass it on to my children, or do I use it for philanthropic purposes? Did that group of people, in a sense, their approach run contrary to your uh, embrace of the strategic philanthropic approach? No, because strategy, strategy begins once you've made a decision of what objectives you would like to have, and it, you know, strategy is essentially value neutral, for better or worse. It's it's simply a way of achieving achieving your ends with however much money you have and whatever those ends may be. Yeah. Okay. So, what? Interestingly, from Kat's point earlier about you don't need to be a, a large foundation or a large organization to adopt the strategic approach. What does prevent organizations, foundations, trusts adopting a strategic approach? So the first step, and I think it's the, in some ways it's the biggest barrier, is deciding you want to have some focus. So much philanthropy, and I have to say it true of some of my wife's and my personal philanthropy, is you run across an organization or a friend tells you about an organization or asks you to give to his or her organization, and you say, why not? Uh, That's not strategic because it doesn't give you any ways of evaluating whether, first of all, you don't have goals that you're trying to achieve other than uh, being nice to your friend. Uh, But secondly, it doesn't give you the chance to say, here's a problem I'd really like to devote a substantial piece of my philanthropy to. So I can then learn about which organizations are valuable and which are not so valuable in the sector. The reason for focus is ultimately that we have limited limited resources and limited attention span. And if you really want to make a difference, you need to, to learn what organizations are going to be effective. Thanks for listening to the Philanthropy Australia podcast. To keep in touch with the latest news and events in philanthropy across Australia, make sure to check out our website, at philanthropy.org.au and follow us on social media. Until next time.